chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And I'll read from verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. I want to speak to you this morning about the enduring power of hope, the enduring power of hope. We cannot live without hope. Without hope, our hearts sink in despair. Without hope, we cannot see the light at the end of the long tunnel. Without hope, we lose our joy. We diminish our faith. We sing in the minor key. We paint in drab colors. We lose the sparkle from our eyes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that one day prophecies will fail, that tongues will cease, that knowledge will vanish away, but hope will abide. Paul puts hope up there with those two great virtues, faith, without which it's impossible to please God, and love which is the greatest, he said. But right there in the middle, he includes hope. Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But what is the hope that the Bible speaks of? Is it any different than normal, everyday hope that every human being possesses? And if it is, how different is it? What makes the difference? What is our hope based on today as biblical believers? What causes us to hope against all odds? Now we often unthinkingly, and not there's anything wrong with this, but unthinkingly we use the word hope uh, in a way like, for instance, you might say, or, you know, we use words just in ways that probably are light. For example, we might say, I love my porridge in the morning. I don't like porridge at any time of the day, but some of you do, particularly in the morning with a wee dab of honey in it or maybe a bit of bramble jam or something like that. I love my porridge in the morning. Compare that to, I love my wife, my husband, I love my children. I love my mother. I love my father. You see, there's a difference between those two things. Or we might say things like, I hope it doesn't rain in the morning. I hope my car passes the MOT. 
I hope my flight will not be delayed. Or we might say, my hope is in Christ. My hope is in the cross. My hope is in the word of God. And suddenly it takes on a different meaning. It goes to a different level. Suddenly it's not some whimsical pie-in-the-sky figure of speech. Now it's more than a mere wish. Now hope has teamed up with faith. Now hope has confidence. Now hope is believing. Now hope is something that's important. It's fully trusting now. It says about Abraham, we just read it, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. That's not a contradiction. Who contrary to normal, everyday hope that all of us has, contrary to that, in hope, believed. In hope that we're talking about today, that goes beyond the ordinary, that's more than just a wish or a little desire. Sarah was 90. Abraham was 100. It was out of the realms of human possibility. When all human reason to hope was completely gone, Abraham believed in a hope whose roots was founded and based in the promises of God to him. Abraham was called the father of faith. And he had a wonderful faith. And in fact, Abraham's faith was so strong when God says, I want you to take your son and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice, that he took that knife and was going to plunge it into his son's chest and kill him. Hebrews says, fully believing that God would immediately raise him from the dead because he was a son of promise. That's faith, isn't it? Abraham had a wonderful faith. But his faith needed something to develop. Hope was the blueprint. Faith was the building. Hope was the negative. Faith was, as it were, the developed photograph. That's why Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The New Living Translation says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. God made human beings with great powers of resilience. People have clawed themselves back from the very brink of death. They have overcome amazing difficulties. People have survived against all odds and turned their lives around. But if a man or a woman loses hope, then they lose the will to live. They can face great ordeals, but when hope is gone, they crumble. Hope gives us an indomitable spirit. Hope snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. Without hope, we cannot live. Let me read you something about Victor Frankl. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, 
Viktor Frankl tells of his years trapped in indescribable horrors of Auschwitz and Dakar. He was transported like a despised animal, given two minutes to strip naked or be whipped. Every hair was shaved from his body, and he was condemned to a living death. His father, mother, brother, and wife died in the camps or were sent to the gas ovens. His existence was full of cold, fear, starvation, pain, lice, and vermin, dehumanization, exhaustion, and terror. Frankl wrote that he was able to survive because he never lost hope. Those prisoners who lost faith in the future were doomed. When a prisoner lost hope, Frankl said, he let himself decline, becoming subject to mental and physical decay. He would die from the inside out. Frankl said this usually happened quite suddenly. One morning, the prisoner would just refuse to get up. He wouldn't get dressed or washed or go outside to the parade grounds. No amount of pleading by his fellow prisoners would help. No threatening by his captors would have any effect. Losing all hope, he had simply given up. He would lie there in his own excrement till he died. When a prisoner lost hope, Frankl said, he lost his spiritual hold. And isn't that the truth? Every one of those 275 prisoners, sailors and soldiers on board that ship bound for Rome that was caught in the midst of that terrible storm, every one of them without exception believed that they were going to die, that they would never survive the storm. All hope was gone as far as they were concerned. Acts 27, 20, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beaten us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. But there was the 276th prisoner, Paul, and he prayed and he fasted. And in verse 23, God spoke, said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed, God has granted you all those who seal with you. Therefore, take heart, man, for I believe God that it shall be just as it was told me. Hope had prevailed. And suddenly that whole ship's crew and prisoners, suddenly it all changed. The atmosphere immediately changed. He says, come on, eat some food. You're going to be all right. We're going to make it. Sure, the ship will be broken up. Sure, it will be destroyed. But not one life will be lost because God has spoken to me. And do you know what? They believed him because he was the only one that had hope in a whole lot of them. And that's exactly what God told them to do. And that's exactly what happened. In Hebrews chapter 6, Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For indeed men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, 
confirm it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. What are our anchors of hope today that are absolutely sure and steadfast? In that story of Paul and the ship going to Rome, in one of the verses it says, and we cast out four anchors and we wished for the day. That was their last ditch effort. We cast out four anchors and we wished for the day. But what are our anchors? What gives us such confidence that we will make it in this life? That we will overcome all the odds that sometimes are stacked against us. Often you feel like a ship on a stormy sea. It looks like we're going to be shipwrecked, but we cast out our anchors of hope and we're saved. First anchor is God's faithfulness. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Titus 1 and 2 says, God who cannot lie. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. God exalts his word even above his own name. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. It is the very nature of God to be faithful. God cannot be anything less than faithful because it's his very nature. He will be loyal to you. He will not fail you. He will not let you down because his very nature is that. You need never doubt his faithfulness. Hebrews 2, 7, he is our faithful high priest. 1 Thessalonians five twenty four. he who calls you is faithful. Lamentations 3.23, great is your faithfulness. <laughs> Hebrews 10.23, he who promised is faithful. Lots of times we make promises that we're unable to keep. We wanted to keep it. We hoped that we would have kept it. But in the end, we didn't keep it. Perhaps we failed through our own lack of desire to keep it, or we just couldn't do it. But God's not like that. God can make his promises come true because he's faithful to his own word. He's faithful to every promise he has ever made to you or me. What an anchor is God's faithfulness. 
And you can cast your anchor of hope into the faithfulness of God. He'll never let you down. God's grace is a great anchor. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, I know you want rid of this thorn. I know you've come to me three times desperate to get rid of the thorn in your flesh. But I'm not going to take it away. But I'm going to give you grace that will be more than enough to handle this problem. Sometimes God gives you more than enough to get you the victory over the problem. Sometimes he gives you more than enough to get you the victory in the problem. Ah, Daniel had victory in the problem, didn't he? Yes, he went into the lion's den. Yes, those three Hebrew boys went into the fiery furnace. But God gave them the victory in the midst of it, didn't he? And sometimes we're praying to get rid of the problem. And sometimes God says, well, you're going to have that problem. but I'm going to give you the grace to handle it. I'm going to give you the inner strength to come through it. I'm going to give you the inner strength to handle it. And what a blessing that is. Where would Peter have been without the grace of God? He fails so many times. He spectacularly failed when he denied the risen Lord. Failed him greatly. And yet, in spite of his great failure, God forgave him. God showed his grace. Where would Saul of Tarsus have been without the grace of God? Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against Christians. <laughs> he couldn't get any worse than that. Sure you couldn't. And yet, in spite of it, the Lord comes with his grace and his mercy. And he wonderfully saves him. Remember a pastor in Tel Aviv telling us how that they've got a ministry there. He's a Messianic Jew. and He says, every day, he says, there are those Orthodox Jews who come and they stand outside where a cafe is, where we reach people with materials and sharing the gospel. And he says, they blaspheme us. Call us demonic and devils and just everything you can think. Shout and bawl in the middle of the street. I says, I'm sure that's hard to handle at times. He says, it is. But he says, you know what helps me handle it? I look at them and think, maybe that's a solitarsis. Maybe that's a solitarsis. Maybe if I pray and God's grace comes to that man, maybe he'll get wonderfully saved and become the opposite of what he is today. And grace can do that, can't it? Where would you be today? Where would I be today without the grace of God? What an anchor of hope grace gives us. God's word, Psalm 135, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope there's so many conflicting voices today, so many opinions, so many theories, so many philosophies and changing trends within society. Our hearts and our minds are being pulled in every direction every day. 
And that's why we need an anchor for our very souls. We need something that's sure, that's steadfast, that keeps us from drifting in the tides of men's opinions. The world's greatest selling book is the biggest selling book in the world's biggest communist state, China. Don't you believe that? People are so hungry for truth. They see the lies around them. They see the cheating. (laughs) They see the fraud. They see the political scene around them where those at the top are living high and those at the bottom are starving. Communism and atheism has left people bereft in every nation that's ever been in. You see the big fight going on in the Ukraine at this very moment. The ideological fight between those who want to go back to communism and those who want capitalism. Those who want the freedom of the West as they see it and those who want to go back into the shackles of communism that they come out of. And the fight is going on even in the very streets. Thank God it looks like at the moment there's a cessation and there's some signs of a governmental change. But we've had that before. It's not the first recent (laughs) public revolution amidst the cave in these places. Why is it? Because people's looking for some kind of difference to be made in their lives because communism and atheism hasn't made it. Russia is the worst rate of alcoholism in the developed world. The worst. Russian prisoners has the worst rate of suicide and death in the developed world. No hope. No future. They're desperate for good news that will give them some hope. Buddhism and Shintoism isn't fair much better. Do you know that 30 thousand people in Japan commit suicide every year. 30,000 every year. We talk about young people, elderly people, the unemployed. No hope. No future. Nothing they look forward to. Nothing they can see in their future and they just give up. Without hope, people are driven to despair. Jeremiah 17 and 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Let me tell you, if I wasn't a believer today, I would be in despair looking around the world. Wouldn't you? I mean, look at the nations. Look at the Middle East. Now look at Europe. Look all over the world and there's trouble. Wars and rumors of wars. Economic disasters. Diseases. Starvation. Famines, everything's going on around us. But when you know the Lord, you've got hope. Lots of people have no hope. Even in our own wee nation, the amount of young people that's committing suicide is horrendous in our own wee country because they can't see any hope. Hard to believe that somebody of 14 or 15 or 16 year old can see no hope, no future for their lives. 
tragic, isn't it? It really is tragic. But what an anchor is God's word. And this is why I encourage you to know God's word because this word is constant. It remains. It's not going to change. It's immutable. It's unchanging. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It will keep you right and steady and steadfast. All men's opinions are subject to change continually. (laughs) We've had the global warming argument. Now we have the climate change argument. A year's time, six months' time, two years' time, it'll be something else. Because they don't know what to do or how to fix it. Aren't you glad that we have got a book that's constant in the midst of all that change? That we don't have to change our mind because this is the mind of God. What an anchor that gives you. And then there's God's eternal future for us. Hope will outlast this present world. That's what Paul said. When everything else fails, hope will remain. But then he also said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. Ah, if in this life only. See, as believers, we live in a temporal world but we've got a citizenship in an eternal world. And we know that everything around us is temporal. It's subject to change. And it will vanish away. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. So we're not looking to this old world as our final home. We're looking beyond this. And we're looking into eternity. There's an eternal quality about the Christian life that we cannot dismiss, that we should think about more than we ever do. The tragedy is that most Christians only think about this life. But we need to think there's a life beyond this life. If we have only hope in Christ in this life, Paul says we're to be pitied. So that must mean there's more than just this life. There's hope for the next life. There's hope for all eternity. Let me read a scripture read a part of a scripture read earlier only in the New Living Testament. Hebrews 6, 18, 19. Therefore we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there before us, for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the line of Melchizedek. What a hope we have beyond this life. And the one who gives us that hope, the one whom we put our trust in, has already gone before into that inner, through that inner veil into the inner sanctuary, into heaven itself for us. And so what we're hoping for, and the one we have put our trust and hope in, he's already gone before us and awaits us. What a hope that is. What a guarantee that is. What confidence that gives us to know that when this life is over, we've got an eternal future that awaits us.
And the final hope, God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's word, God's eternal future for us. And the final hope is God's son returning. Do you know the Bible always looks at the return of Christ as our great hope? Listen to Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest hope we have got in this old sin-cursed world, the greatest hope we have got is the return of Jesus Christ and he is coming and he's coming very soon the Bible speaks hundreds of times of his second coming and of all those prophecies about his first coming came true and they did right to the letter how much more can we believe that the hundreds of prophecies regarding his second return will also come true what a hope we have got that the Lord is coming soon. For many, many people, that strikes fear into their hearts. For the believer, it should strike comfort into our hearts. It should bring great comfort and confidence to us that the Lord is coming and he's coming soon. Even so, the Bible says, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Almost the very last thing the Bible says is the Lord is coming. And what a comfort that's going to be. Priscilla J. Owen wrote the old song, Will Your Anchor Hold in the Storms of Life? We used to sing that in here. The time we used to sing out of hymn books. Do you know we have lost many of the great old hymns? When we left under hymn books, we left down some great hymns. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? Chorus, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Will it firmly hold in the straits of fear when the breakers have told the reef is near? Though the tempests rave and the winds and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall our bark overflow. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. <laughs> Where's your hope today? Is it in God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's word, God's future for us, Christ's return? We have so much to hope in and to hope for. That's what keeps us going. 
when you get those tough times and those rough times, as often we do, and you hardly see any light at the end of your long tunnel, lift up your eyes, lift up your heart, and say, God, my hope is in you. When all else fails, Lord, my trust and my hope and my confidence is in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.